0: chapter 51 my third week on island is ticking by and a migraine takes me out for two days or maybe three i can't even tell the pills in my bottle are getting low though i filled my prescription before we left home i wonder if mummy is taking them maybe she's always been taking them or maybe the twins have been coming in my room again lifting things they don't need Maybe they're users. Or maybe I'm taking more than I know, popping extra in a haze of pain, forgetting my last dose. I'm scared to tell mummy I need more. When I feel stable, I come to Cuddle Town again. The sun hovers low in the sky. The porch is covered with broken bottles. Inside, the ribbons have fallen from the ceiling and I twisted on the floor. The dishes in the sink are dry and encrusted. The quilts that cover the dining table are dirty. The coffee table is stained with circular marks from mugs of tea. I find the liars clustered in Mirren's bedroom, all looking at the Bible. Scrabble words, argument, says Mirren as soon as I enter. She closes the book. Gat was right, as usual. You're always effing right, Gat. Girls don't like that in a guy, you know. The Scrabble tyres are scattered across the great room floor. I saw them when I walked in. They haven't been playing. What did you guys do for the past few days? I asked. Oh God, says Johnny, stretching out on Mirren's bed. I forgot already. It was the 4th of July, says Mirren. We went to supper at New Claremont, and then everyone went out in the big motorboat to see the vineyard fireworks. Today we went to Nantucket Donut Shop. Yeah, they were the most amazing donuts, says Johnny. You hate cake donuts. Of course, says Mirin. But we didn't get the cake. We got glazed twists and Boston cream, says Gat. And jelly, says Johnny. But I know Downey Flake only makes cake donuts. No glazed. No Boston cream. No jelly. Why are they lying? Chapter fifty two. I eat supper with Mummy and the Littles at New Claremont, but that night I'm hit with a migraine again. It's worse than the one before. I lie in my darkened room, scavenger birds peck at the oozing matter that leaks from my crushed skull. I open my eyes and Gat stands over me. I see him through a haze. Light shines through the curtains so it must be day. Gat never comes to Windermere, but here he is. Looking at the graph paper on my wall. At the sticky notes. At the new memories and information I've added since I've been here. Notes about Grand's dogs dying. Grandad and the ivory goose. Gat giving me the Moriarty book. The aunts fighting about the Boston house. Don't read my papers, I moan. Don't. He steps back. It's up there for anyone to see. Sorry. I turn on my side to press my cheek against the hot pillow. I didn't know you were collecting stories. Gat sits on the bed, reaches out and takes my hand. I'm trying to remember what happened that nobody wants to talk about, I say, including you. I want to talk about it. You do? He's staring at the floor. I had a girlfriend two summers ago. I know. I knew all along, but I never told you. No. You didn't. I fell for you so hard, Katie. There was no stopping it. I know I should have told you everything and I should have broken it off with Raquel straight away. It was just... She was back home and I never see you all year and my phone didn't work here and I kept getting packages from her and letters all summer. I look at him. I was a coward, Gat says. Yeah. It was cruel. To you and to her too. My face burns with remembered jealousy. I'm sorry, Katie. Gat goes on. That's what I should have said to you the first day we got here this year. I was wrong and I'm sorry. I nod. It is nice to hear him say that. I wish I weren't so high. Half the time I hate myself for all the things I've done, says Gat. But the thing that makes me really messed up is the contradiction. When I'm not hating myself, I feel righteous and victimised. Like the world is so unfair. Why do you hate yourself? And before I know it, Gat is lying on the bed next to me. His cold fingers wrap around my hot ones, and his face is close to mine. He kisses me. Because I want things I can't have, he whispers. But he has me. Doesn't he know he already has me? Or is Gat talking about something else? Something else he can't have. Some material thing, some dream of something. I'm sweaty and my head hurts and I can't think clearly. Mirren says it'll end badly and I should just leave you alone, I tell him. He kisses me again. Someone did say something to me that is too awful to remember, I whisper. I love you, he says. We hold each other and kiss for a long time pain in my head fades. A little, but not all the way. I open my eyes and the clock reads midnight. Gat is gone. I pull the shades and look out the window, lifting the sash to get some air. Aunt Carrie is walking in her nightgown again, passing by Windermere, scratching her tooth and arms in the moonlight. She doesn't even have her shirling boots on this time. Over at Redgate, I can hear Will crying from a nightmare. Mummy, mummy, I need you! Carrie either doesn't hear him or else she will not go. She veers away and heads up the path towards New Claremont. Chapter 53 Giveaway A plastic box of Legos. I've given away all my books now. I gave a few to the Littles, one to Gat, and went with Aunt Bess to donate the rest to a charity shop in the vineyard. This morning I rummaged through the attic. There's a box of Lego there. So I bring them to Johnny. I find him alone in the cuddletown Town great room, hurling bits of Play-Doh at the wall and watching the colour stain, the white paint. He sees the Lego and shakes his head. For your tuna fish, I explain. Now you'll have enough. I'm not going to build it, he says. Why not? Too much work, he says. Give them to Will. Don't you have Will's Legos down here? I brought them back. Little guy was starved for them, Johnny says. He'll be happy to have some more. I bring them to Will at lunch. There are little Lego people and lots of parts for building cars. He's ridiculously happy. He and Taft build cars all through the meal. They don't even eat. Chapter 54 That same afternoon, the liars get the kayaks out. What are you doing? I ask. Going around the point to this place we know. Says Johnny. We've done it before. Katie shouldn't come, says Mirren. Why not? asks Johnny. Because of her head, shouts Mirren. What if she hurts her head again and her migraines get even worse? God, do you even have a brain, Johnny? Why are you yelling? yells Johnny. Don't be so bossy. Why don't they want me to come? You can come, Cadence, says Gat. It's fine if she comes. I don't want to tag along when I'm not wanted. Gap pats the kayak seat in front of him and I climb in. I do you not really want to be separate from them? Ever? We paddle the two person kayaks around the bayside until Windermere to an inklet. Mummy's house sits on an overhang. Beneath it is a cluster of craggy rocks that almost feels like a cave. We pull the kayaks onto the rocks and climb to where it's dry and cool. Mirren is seasick, though we were only in the kayaks for a few minutes. She is sick so often now. It's no surprise. She lies down with her arms over her face. I half expect the boys to unpack a picnic. They have a canvas bag with them, but instead Gat and Johnny begin climbing the rocks. They've done it before, I can tell. They're barefoot and they climb to a high point 25 feet above the water, stopping on a ledge that hangs over the sea. I watch them until they are settled. What are you doing? We're being very, very manly, Johnny calls back his voice echoes Gats laughs no really I say you might think we're city boys but truth is we are full of masculinity and testosterone are not are too oh please I'm coming up with you no don't says Mirren John Johnny baited me I say now I have to go I begin climbing in the same direction the boys went the rocks are cold under my hands slicker than I expected ''Don't,'' Mirren repeats. ''This is why I didn't want you to come.'' ''Why did you come then?'' I ask. ''Are you going up there?'' ''I jumped last time,'' Mirren admits. ''Once was enough.'' ''They're jumping?'' ''It doesn't even look possible.'' ''Stop, Katie, it's dangerous,'' says Gat. ''And before I can climb farther?'' Johnny holds his nose and jumps. He plummets, feet first, from the high rock. I scream. He hits the water with force and the sea is filled with rocks here. There's no telling how deep or shallow it is. He could seriously die doing this. He could... But he pops up, shaking the water off his short yellow hair and whooping, You're crazy, I scold. Then Gat jumps. Whereas Johnny kicked and hollered as he went down, Gat is silent, legs together. He slices into the icy water with hardly a splash. He comes up happy, squeezing water out of his t-shirt as he climbs back onto the dry rocks. They're idiots, says Mirren. I look up at the rocks from which they jumped. It seems impossible anyone could survive. And suddenly I want to do it. I start climbing again. Don't, Katie, says Gap. Please don't. You just did, I say. And you said it was fine if I came. Mirren sits up, her face pale. I want to go home now, she says urgently. I don't feel well. Please don't, Katie. It's rocky, calls Johnny. We shouldn't have brought you. I'm not an invalid, I say. I know how to swim. That's not it. It's not a good idea. Why is it a good idea for you and not a good idea for me? I snap. I'm nearly at the top. My fingertips are already beginning to blister with clutching the rock. Adrenaline shoots through my bloodstream. We were being stupid, says Gat. Showing off, says Johnny. Come down, please. Mirren is crying now. I do not come down. I am sitting, knees to my chest, on the ledge from which the boys jumped. I look at the sea churning beneath me. Dark shapes lurk beneath the surface of the water. But I can also see an open space. If I position my jump right, I will hit deep water. Always do what you are afraid to do, I call out. That's a stupid-ass motto, says Mirren. I told you that before. I will prove myself strong when they think I am sick. I will prove myself brave when they think that I am weak. It's windy on this high rock, Mirren is sobbing, Gat and Johnny are shouting at me. I close my eyes and jump. The shock of the water is electric, thrilling. My leg scrapes a rock, my left leg. I plunge down, down to the rocky, rocky bottom and I can see the base of Beechwood Island and my arms and legs feel numb but my fingers are cold slices of seaweed go past as i lie and then i am up again and breathing i'm okay my head is okay no one needs to cry for me or worry about me i'm fine i'm alive i swim to shore sometimes i wonder if reality splits in charmed life that book i gave to gat there are parallel universes in which different events have happened to the same people, an, alter- an alternate choice has been made, or an accident has turned out differently. Everyone has duplicates of themselves in these other worlds. Different cells with different lives, different luck, variations. I wonder, for example, if there's a variation of today where I die going off that cliff. I have a funeral where my ashes are scattered at the tiny beach. A million flowering peonies surround my drowned body as people sob in penance and misery. I am a beautiful corpse. I wonder if there's another variation in which Johnny is hurt, his legs and back crushed against the rocks. We can't call emergency services and we have to paddle back in the kayak with his nerves severed. By the time we helicopter him to the hospital on the mainland, he's never going to walk again. On another variation, in which I don't go with the lies in the kayaks at all, I let them push me away. They keep going places without me and telling me small lies. We grow apart, bit by bit, and eventually our summer ideal is ruined forever. It seems to me more than likely that these variations exist. Chapter 55. That night I wake. Cold. I've kicked my blankets off and the window is open. I sit up too fast and my head spins. A memory. Aunt Carrie. Crying. Bent over with snot running down her face. Not even bothering to wipe it off. She's doubled over. She's shaking. She might throw up. It's dark out and she's wearing a white cotton blouse with a wind jacket over it. Johnny's blue checked one. Why is she wearing Johnny's wind jacket? Why is she so sad? I get up and find a sweatshirt and shoes. I grab a flashlight and head to Cuddletown. The great room is empty and lit by moonlight. Bottles litter the kitchen counter. Someone left a sliced apple out and it's browning. I can smell it. Mirren is here. I didn't see her before. She's tucked beneath a striped afghan, leaning against the couch. You're up, she whispers. I came looking for you. How come? I had this memory. Aunt Carrie was crying. She was wearing Johnny's coat. Do you remember Carrie crying? Sometimes. but. Summer fifteen, when she had the short haircut. No, says Mirren. How come you're not asleep? I ask. Mirren shakes her head. I don't know. I sit down. Can I ask you a question? Sure. I need you to tell me what happened before my accident. And after. You always say nothing important. But something must have happened to me, besides sitting in my head during a nighttime swim." Uh-huh. Do you know what it was?" Penny said the doctors want it left alone. You'll remember in your own time, and no one should push you on it. But I'm asking, Mirren. I need to know. She put her head down on her knees, thinking. "'What is your best guess?' she finally says. I. I suppose I was the victim of something. It's hard to say these words. I suppose that I was raped or attacked or some godforsaken something. That's the kind of thing that makes people have amnesia, isn't it? Mirren rubs her lips. I don't know what to tell you, she says. Tell me what happened, I say. It was a messed up summer. How so? That's all I can say, my darling Katie. Why won't you ever leave Cuddlestown? I ask suddenly. You hardly ever leave except to go to the tiny beach. I went kayaking today, she says. But you got sick. Do you have that fear? I ask. That fear of going out. Agoraphobia. I don't feel well, Katie, says Miriam defensive. I'm cold all the time. I can't stop shivering. My throat is raw. If you felt this way, you wouldn't go out either. I feel worse than that all the time, but for once I don't mention my headaches. We should tell Bess then. Take you to the doctor. Mirren shakes her head. It's just a stupid cold I can't shake. I'm being a baby about it. Will you give me a ginger ale? I cannot argue any more. I get her a ginger ale. Can we turn on the TV?